Welcome to We're All Gonna Die and Other Fun Facts, a semi-regular, occasionally amusing, and rarely funny series of conversations on a random topic. Back again from another unplanned, unannounced hiatus of inde in in indeterminate length. This episode is entitled American Aorta, and it is about, well, it's old friend of the podcast, our um, Jerry Randall of the podcast, Jason Baldinger, has yet another new book, and it's only February, so who knows when he'll be back again this year. Probably more than once. There's two more coming this year. There's two more coming this year, so two more Jason Baldinger podcasts probably this year on We're All Gonna Die and Learn Fun Facts, and so yes, Jason Baldinger is our guest. Thank you again for being back. Thanks for inviting so me. So many times. And, and happy to, you know, make this be the start of you doing a few of them since you're bringing John Dorsey on soon. And yeah, and I got Jem Fair in, in between. Nice. Um, so there's going to at least be three in this run the, of... The next new season of... The next new season. <laughs> there's going to be at least three, hopefully more. I'll talk with some folks, reach out. Nice. Yeah. And kind of get this together. So, yeah. American Aorta, newest collection. Mm -hmm. uh, we were last on talking about uh, photography, but... Yes. Yes. We, we have done that, because the photography book came out at the, the same time as Aorta, which was not intentional, but that's how it worked. Yes. Um, I never mean to do two books at once, and somehow it always happens. Um, good problems to have, I believe. Yes. So. Yes, and we didn't get to do this. I was in a slump or in a in a spiral or in a. I was busy uh, when the book launch party came out, where I actually picked up the book, and then I finally bothered to read it. And here we are. Well, thank you for reading it. I'm glad you enjoyed it enough to invite me. Yes, and it is always a pleasure. And it is always, I think, the big, well, not the biggest thing, but the big thing I want to talk about is. The way I'm always impressed whenever I read the new Jason Baldinger, <laughs> um, that your your style I can always tell ten pages in your stylistic evolution has taken another step. Yes, um, and yeah, I just want to talk about that and how like this new voice or what you're aiming for or how your how you find like your your own mechanics of this happening. Well, I, I mean, we've talked about the fact that I, I, over the years, stripped my writing down to basics at one point in time. Probably, if we get right to it, uh, around about uh, this useless beauty, I hit that point where it was yes. like, this is as sparse as we can get, you know, at the time. Uh, and at that point, you start building back up. Um I did that selected along the way too, which then caused me to have to deeply look at what I had written over 10 years and see all the little tricks and games and gimmicks and, oh, I didn't know how to end this, so I did this, or, you know. Yeah. Because we all have these little things that, you know, we sneak in or, you know, we're trying to be clever or whatever, and I got a chance to go, oh, shit, a lot of that stuff was unnecessary, let's fix this. Um... And simultaneously, then again, you have, I think, Blind into Leaving, the chapbook that came out in 2019, after that road trip, that god-awful road trip. 
you have this steeping of Americana that I've been, uh, you know, the Americana that I've been steeping in for 20 years or so finally just starts coming out. And I think that's where Aorta is at that point, mm-hmm. too. I, we, starting this book into the pandemic, I wasn't able to travel. So I was thinking back on things that I hadn't written about over the years. And then you also had two anniversaries of cross-country trips. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 10-year anniversaries coming during those plague years. So you want to go and see the country again. And I couldn't. <laughs> yeah. So you start thinking about the places you've been and maybe romanticizing or, you know, telling tall tales or stretching the reality of what that was things I couldn't have done when I wrote the lower 48 which I think is the closest to this book um you also have that very obvious me driving back and forth to Missouri for five years and that is mostly what this book is it's a, you know the stories spur off of this back and forth across the Midwest and I've changed somewhat from a Pittsburgh poet now to this ghostly Midwest thing you know? yes <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know if any of that that, that answers questions, but uh, that's no, how, no, I, that's kind of how I see the the, the 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 it rolling at this point in time. No, I mean that makes a ton of sense. I think in terms of yeah, and especially in terms of content. You mentioned the pandemic, and I think about this a lot. Like March fourteenth, twenty twenty, will mm-hmm. never happen. Like March thirteenth is when my university shut down and we went remote and actually the 14th I did go a couple places Mm -hmm. and actually I did have a meeting on the 15th but then it was March 16th I stayed in for for three months yeah and at some point someone on a friend on one of the social media platforms said you know we're never going back to the world the way it was right and you don't and that totally freaked me out (laughs) But I do find now that when I think about places and I go, oh, that's still there, <laughs> yep. you know, or that's not there anymore. Mm-hmm. There is this like almost sort of immediate perspective, like, you know, we're almost having now near nostalgia for the world two years ago. Yes. Three years ago, yeah. you know, or, or how it was. And, and does that enter into maybe your headspace as you're as you're writing these poems or as you're writing the poems for American Aorta I well I didn't write a lot during the pan during the first summer of the pandemic it would have been uh, when we shifted into 2021 I guess and the the core of this book kind of came in like three weeks and then the rest of it was just sort of filtering out because it was just like, oh, I wanted to... I never wrote a poem about that day in Shenandoah National or mm-hmm. uh, the, the the waitress who tried to pick me up in Indiana or this or that or the other thing. And, you know, there are things maybe I, I attempted and I was never happy with where mm-hmm. I got with it. Um, but you, you find yourself romanticizing this thing that you can't do suddenly. Yeah. You know, and for someone who is, you know two big trips, you know, week to 14-day trips a year, and then weekends, generally one weekend a month, sometimes two, 
That's a, a big change to only leave PA like three times in a year. Wow. You know? um, and most of those were accidental. You know, like I was in Quebec Run, you know, which is, you know, right on the Maryland border, right on the West Virginia border. So it's just like one wrong turn and I was in West Virginia and then I was in Maryland and then it's back in PA. Yeah. Wow. What the hell did I do that? But yeah, yeah. that it just, yeah, you don't, it changes everything that, that quickly. So um, it, uh, it bummed me out. So it took a while to write and then it mm. just sort of happened. And uh, yeah. Absorbing Americana, it just comes out in weird ways at certain points yes. and times, you know. And I, of course, love minutia as well. So you pick up weird things when you're traveling through places, and then they keep popping up in your writing, like pawpaw trees or like yes, <laughs> like bars in Richmond, Indiana, of which there's three poems that are written in the same bar in Richmond, Indiana, in this book. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no. That's cool. And I think the other thing is then the the stylistic, like I said, the stylistic evolution of, yeah, getting, I think, even more stark. Mm hmm. I would and say. The, the, that the poems, while they are still. While they still describe. The present, the past, at the same time. Sometimes there's there's complex histories there. Mm -hmm. There are scenes, or I want to say, I see. I, I can't even use the word chaotic because they're not because there's so much space. There's all this stuff, but there's still all this space. When you're driving, that's kind of where you are, right? Yeah. You're both, you know, traveling through, but you have all the vacancy, so you you deposit what you've taken with you along or you strew it across the country as you're going um, and then you, you find it back wherever you know I'm John Brown's a great example of this I fucking follow John Brown all over the goddamn country at this mm -hmm. point in time and anytime I end up in a city and there's a John Brown memorial or marker or he was there for some reason I gotta go fucking seek it out because it's like yeah. oh <laughs> well you John and I just keep running into each other, so we must be friends, or yes. must have been friends, or, yeah. you know, something like that. And, yeah, then you have this weird thing where, you know, I'm constantly, you know, hanging out with John Brown in places, or Walt Whitman, or... <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean... It also is, for me, you know... Now that you say that, I mean... My brother-in-law was here this weekend, and we were just sort of explaining Pittsburgh, and mm -hmm. he hadn't been to Pittsburgh in 15, 20 years. Okay. So it's a very different Pittsburgh. Then. It's a very different Pittsburgh, and we were sort of explaining that, you know, and you have reason at one point to go, you know, through Penn Avenue and East Liberty, and it's like the new money or the continual money or the money that has come into this place, the Paris of Appalachia, you know... Um, has wiped so much of it clean and I, I remember old Pittsburgh or like sort of shitty old Pittsburgh or Pittsburgh when it felt like the end of civilization 2008 when I figured five more years and I'd be shutting off the lights for the rest of the city yeah I'd be the only one here yeah no. yeah <laughs> and the exact opposite has happened no no I, I never expected this although not surprising you know I remember those yeah early aughts and mid-aughts years when I'd have friends and bands, you know, coming in from 
you know, whatever East Coast city, and we'd be driving around, and they'd be like, "How much is rent in this neighborhood?" And I'd be like, yeah, "I don't know, I'm like four or five hundred dollars." And they'd be like, "What the fuck are you talking about? This same apartment is two thousand dollars in my city." You know? Yes. So it was like it, it, you can't exist in that secret world anymore. No. The internet is a thing, and be, the New York Times will find you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and then other people will find you after them yes. because they saw you in the New York Times. Yeah. Which, you know, is, is feels like a lot of the city's gone or, or whatever. But for me, it is like if you go somewhere outside, you still have that sense. And he asked, he'd never been to West Virginia. Oh. And I was this close. He was only with us for two days. And it was his daughter, my niece, was having an event. And there was like, we're going to need to go get her at the convention center. And he's like, I've never been to West Virginia. What it's li- What's it like? Take, take him to a, a holler anywhere here. Yeah. And you'll you'll get the same sort of feel. See, I feel it is different for me. There is. There is a difference. There is a greater presence or persistence of the past. Yes. And like that it is like if you want that kind of time travel and if you want to see places that haven't changed since 19-whatever. West Virginia can certainly be West that Virginia place. is the place. Wow. Well. And yeah, and that for me is travel. And I think that's the Rust Belt. Mm-hmm. Those those like sort of mid mid to small size Rust Belt cities that you write about. Mm-hmm. They're the only place I feel comfortable. Yeah, I mean, I wrote about that. I think in years ago when I did the the lower forty eight, you know, where you know I'm always looking with the eyes of my childhood at these places because I mean I grew up here yeah. in the eighties. You saw how bad it got. Yeah. You were in Johnstown or wherever you were at that point in time. Yeah. We'd go, I'd come and do family visits at Grandma's house. And, and was, feeling like I was in this radically different world from yes. New Jersey, where, again, it's, you know, the answer or the maggots are always scattering. You know, the carcass. Mm-hmm. If the carcass is a landscape... Yeah. Or yeah. the landscape is a carcass, the maggots are always eating it. Like, is that time-lapse photography video of, like... Uh, uh, you know, an animal carcass being devoured and decaying. <laughs> you know, it's like that's the landscape in New Jersey. Nothing really stays, unless it's like a Camden. Nothing really stays itself for very long. No, because it's constantly it getting recycled. But. Yes, whereas you know, in, in Pittsburgh, has become recycled, starting and, to become much more recycled. Yes, um, yeah, the, the that old uh, Pittsburgh is still here, but you definitely have to look under the patina just a little bit more now. Yes. So, or it's like you have to find Pittsburgh and Wilkinsburg or Aliquippa, mm-hmm. or which is easy enough to do. Yeah, it's which they even now New Kensington is coming back to something or turning into some new thing, and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But it's for me. It's all it, it, this book is so interesting because it, I still have such a strong impression of these places and places I've, I've never been to Richmond, Indiana mm-hmm. but I feel like I know Richmond, Indiana from reading your works <laughs> it was uh, where the Gennett plant was mm. in the 1919 or in the late teens early 20s uh, and there is uh, a city park there now where, where the Gennett plant was where they occasionally do shows uh, but there is also a walk of fame which has all these mosaics of all these people who recorded for Gennett in that place, so Charlie Patton, you know, Blind Lemon Jefferson, mm-hmm. um, Hoagie Carmichael, Uncle Dave Macon. So, like, you just like walk through this like little walkway of of uh, mosaics of all these 
wonderful musicians that we don't notice or talk about much anymore in some cases. So, mm. um, yeah. So it's a, it's a it's a wonderful space for that, but it ain't doing so well as a town. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately. Well, I, I I think I said that once, and the difference I said that once to a history professor at St. Francis. I made the comment I never, you know, I grew up in a place. The my first family house I remember as a child. Um, supposedly there was a ghost of a Revolutionary War soldier haunting the house across the street. <laughs> the house was I consider the one I grew up in. George Washington had stayed. Okay. Literally at a house across the street and two doors over, mm-hmm. had had slept in that house. It's a seven. It's a seventeenth century house. Okay. Um. Yeah, <laughs> people had been living on my street in South Plainfield since sixteen sixty six. Okay, so it had been around. It had yes, some it has been around, but I never. When I go to Cambria County, I've never been to a place where the past was more important. Right. I mean, than there it's still because right they there. barely have a present. Yeah, and. I feel all that, but again, I think the language has gotten so much more efficient. Maybe that's the word I want. I I did cut a lot of fat, and I learned to play a little bit more so that everything jumps, whether it's the drugs I take or whatever, I don't know. But uh, I I have fun with the psychedelic sprawl while still trying to be concise. Does that make sense? That absolutely does make sense, and I think the fact that again we're 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 having you know these so we're talking lower cases except for the I singular I or, yeah, and, and, and I would go lowercase on those if it didn't look so grammatically odd. Yes, you know, but I I, I made a decision years ago to that you don't you know. Word programs, whatnot, cannot hold the power over me to tell me what should be capitalized. Yes. So Walmart should not be capitalized, nor should Jesus. You know? Yes. Uh, and if that's the case, then nothing should really be capitalized, because why don't we just lowercase everything? It'll be like European villages, where nothing can be taller than the church. You know? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and also, there's, there's you know, I, I see uh, comma... See some apostrophes. I saw one exclamation point. Oh, I did away with punctuation years ago. You did I, away with punctuation. I only use it in lines generally, and I've even tried to get away from that. Um, like I, I just want this to be clean. I want yeah. A lot of it is editing too, because when you work in small press, as you know, and anybody else out there, editors aren't easy to come by, and most publishers do not edit your work. Yeah, uh, you are responsible for editing your own work and making sure that when it comes out, it's as clean as it can get. Yes, and that was a lesson that I needed to learn early, mm. and I think I've consistently gotten better at yeah. it. But absolutely, uh, absolutely, one of the ways that you prevent that is to stop fucking putting things in there that you can misuse. You know, yes, I'm not the greatest, you know. Grammarian. But, you know, I even think about as I'm teaching poetry workshops with my students this semester, uh, just thinking about how much the line, how much the line break does so much work in your poetry mm-hmm. now. Well, that, that that takes over for the comma. It takes yeah, it over takes over for the period. It takes over for, right. yes. Yeah, so if you do your line breaks right, then you're fine. And it yes. should read great. 
it should read great. And the fact that you can get to do it, you know, in lines that are mostly around five words. <laughs> we keep it short. We know? do keep it short. And again, I, I think that's just so impressive. Part of that is probably because I do. I, I It's a bad habit, but I, I've gotten into just using the phone for most everything. And it's there. So why the fuck wouldn't you? You know, the yeah. notes app is the best thing in the world. And if not, then you have a voice recorder. And we were talking pre-show about driving. But I love voice record, you know, and just sitting there and working through something yeah. when you're driving. And you can just keep saying the same damn line. It doesn't matter until you find what the cadence is and where yes. it is. And then add the next one and then keep going. Or, you know, then go back and go, nope, kill that. Fix this, you know. See, I find even working on the phone, it makes me realize, like... For me, as someone who wants to be very verbose, mm -hmm. I mean, it's this thing that I guess I'm impressed by because it it's this that you've you've mastered this thing I struggle with. <laughs> okay, um, and I found that for me, working on the phone, um, if I can fit the whole poem in a screenshot, right? That's what you're. I've trying done to do. it. I've done it. I the, that line's not too long. There's not too many moving parts. Right. You know. Uh, and like I have, I it helps to sometimes be open with my students and about struggle. And you know, mm -hmm. we talked about synchronic lines, which are you know one moment or diasynchronic, more than one moment. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, I was thinking about saying to them, it was one of those things that class was over, and I should have said, you know, if you could have put a dog shock collar on me every time I try to write about two moments instead of just one, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I I would I would learn. Well, I mean, and for me, I'm constantly... You could make the argument in a lot of cases that maybe these are two poems, you know, that I've just yeah. sort of jammed together and accordion into one, yeah. you know, because you've usually got two different narratives running yes. know, around each other. Um, but I, I like the complexity that yes. way. Yes, yes. And, it, you know, it keeps you going. You have to then wonder... Or ask more questions about what you're seeing or what you're dealing with. It, you know, it's a way to entertain myself as I, I do this. And that's ultimately what we're doing here. Yes. You know, if you're not entertaining yourself first, fuck it, you lost. Yes, exactly, you know? exactly, exactly. <laughs> Which, with that mind, as much as we're talking about style, can we hear, can we hear when pigs fly? Surely. On, on page 27. All right. Uh, so this is a poem about Denora, technically. Sort of, mostly. It's got two parts, people. It's got two parts. It does. There's a lot going on. Uh, when pigs fly. Maybe pigs will fly. Take a running start down St. Nicholas, into the wind like early sons of aviation before crashing into the Monongahela. Maybe they'll launch from Waddell Avenue, a Doppler squeal lost in a mothball sky. In this valley of work, anything possible. Even the great American dream. Stan Musil could flat out hit. From the back of the batter's box, bat sweeping across the plate, ball bouncing off the left field wall, he hustles into second. He worked off seasons as a freight checker at U.S. Steel. His wife set up housekeeping a few blocks from where he was born. Maybe the world was smaller then. They were off to St. Louis when the inversion started. Smog veils, this valley nightmare, 
gossamer sunsets, howling gas masks, the weight that sits suffocating on your chest. It was no surprise when people started to die. It was no surprise. Doom settled into this city in smog. Musil collected his parents, sent them to enjoy their dotage somewhere in suburban Missouri. And he didn't come back. Not to sit on a jeep on Thanksgiving as parades death-marched from the sons of Italy past the rooming houses as hills knife downriver to Forbes Field. Cardinals and traveling gray, Musil sends Bob Friend's fastball on a right field ricochet. Clemente fields it cleanly, fires it home. Musil is at second, he tips his hat as pigs fly by. The valley of work gasps for breath. The rich will always get richer. The air may recover. Really, it's more lottery than dream. Another poem where I obviously love Minutia a lot. Yes. Um, but if you... That... Oh. <laughs> Just like a paper towel. If you got one handy. I don't, but... Talk about Minutia. I'm going to go get a paper towel. Because <laughs> sometimes when Straub gets very cold... Sometimes it, it dances. Me, yes. Yeah. Um, if you are in Denora on the main drag near, well, that is Waddell Avenue, I think, going towards the Chinese restaurant where the uh, museum is, you know, that poem just sort of flows with Waddell Avenue as it drops down river. Thank you. Welcome. I got a crotch full of straw like it's Gooskies in 2005. Ooh, baby. Hot damn. That's a poem. <laughs> that could be a poem. Could be a poem. <laughs> Gooskies, enjoy it while it's still here. Except you, does anybody enjoy Gooskies? I don't think anybody enjoys <sighs> Gooskies anymore. Sorry, Marcus. No, I think that was years ago. That was that was over. Yeah, it's been over for a while. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, useful being from... Denora, the EPA being founded primarily because of Denora and the smog inversion. I didn't know that the Monongahela area, uh, river area around there, was actually really big with aviation uh, yeah. early on, uh, which was a, just a little thing that I picked up. But you just start blending all these things together, and that's the Alpo can that comes out on the other yes. side. So. Yes, and Denora is definitely one of those places. We we went for a little drive over break, over my winter break. There was a day the weather was good, and mm -hmm. we just kind of was like, let's go 885 to 837. 837, as far as we could go on 837 before it's like, I want to go home. California University, pretty yes, much. Yes, pretty much. We went to Cal U and turned around, mm -hmm. and I was like, eh, West Virginia's too far. Well, uh, turn yeah. Around. Point Marion, uh, yeah. Turned around at Cal U, but yeah, Denora is one of those places that has not, but it has, mm -hmm. but it hasn't changed. And it's and, got this rich history of yeah. ball players and, you know, so much. Oh, dogs are knocking, I think. I think they are. Because uh, they know we're in here. Um, what are you doing? What are you doing? And also, yeah, yeah. Though I did learn something really fascinating about Denora. What's that? 
Uh, when the zinc smelter was there, mm-hmm. and the, the zinc smelter was the reason for the fog, um, no vegetation grew in that valley. People lived there, and there were no trees, no grass. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, I, I, there I, was there that one. It was the PBS special that talked about it. And one of the one of the people who was a young person, the hills were great for sledding because you could go all the way and not hit nothing. <laughs> And it was like, wow, and like people lived in that. Mm-hmm. Human beings lived in that environment. Mm-hmm. Stan Musial lived in that environment. And, mm-hmm. and still could hit a fastball somehow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I'm almost positive I've said this to you at one point in time or another, uh, but my buddy Steve Pellegrino, who I've, I've done work with and has been a, a longtime friend of mine, grew up in New Eagle. Uh, and when he was a kid, he got poison ivy, any other skin rash, the doctor just said, jump in the river. It'll kill whatever. You'll be fine. Wow. Yeah. Just jump in the river. Don't worry about it. Nah, that's how you cured whatever was crawling on you at that point. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I, maybe it didn't work for eczema, but it surely yeah. worked for everything else. You know? It might have inspired other things, mm-hmm. but I would think, but wow. Yeah. Well, I had heard a story once that there was a spot in the Delaware River there was a spot that was oily, mm-hmm. and you would get tar on your boat. But there was another spot that then there was like a turpentine plant. Oh. And the runoff from that, so what you would do is you just tie your boat up on this other dock mm-hmm. for about a, a week. And just the, the flow of the current would clean your boat. Clean the boat off, yeah. Uh, that's Pittsburgh before yeah. we started to try and clean our rivers and yeah. started before we even started to consider our rivers to be resources, which I know Toledo has done with the Maumee and I think more cities need to think about that as a concept, but that's beside the point. Yes. Yeah, so. But yeah, I think that poem just really does capture, uh, again, my geek love... For this cut. collection, yes. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I, I love and that the point. way that this works, and the way that this history collides. Yeah, I need context anywhere yes. I am, so I just keep shoving context in, and you know, eventually it becomes meta context, I guess. You know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in fact, even Clemente makes an appearance. As well, how me. could I write a poem about the pirates, you know, of that era, and not put Clemente in? Uh, or Bob Fred for that fact. I mean, yeah. they were two of the best parts uh, of those late '60s, well, mid '50s teams into their um, early '60s. Fred was earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd never gotten Clemente into a poem. It was a good time for it. Ah, did not know that. That's <laughs> Benny Santiago, but not Clemente. That's right, <laughs> Benny Santiago and. Played and how I think many games? Nova. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's odd how that works, but yeah. Yeah. Waiting for the Rob Mankoviak poem. Oh. I might be able to actually do that. Uh, you will someday. I have faith. That you I, I remember the double header that his uh, his first son, I think, was born, and he walked off the second game with a grand slam. I believe the first game he also walked off with a hit. So it was just like one of those magical games, you know, where somebody's like lit and they go seven for eight on a doubleheader and 
We we won two games against Cleveland. That had to be like 2005 or six. I, I'm sure I can figure it out, but in the loose sense, that's where my brain says it was right now. Yeah. Seems right. Robin Cowie, yeah, Jesus. What a bummer this fucking baseball team's been for 25, 30 years. Yeah. 2015 aside, of course. 2015 aside. Um, it still looks miserable. Yeah, it still looks miserable, you know, structurally. Uh, though I will say, I, I keep thinking about this. Um, uh, our, our mutual friend, John Grigalski, posted <laughs> about the uh, post of that picture of Andy Vance like sitting in center field after Sid Bream scored. And I still have the TV I watched that on in this house. I don't, but my uh, I was at the game that they clinched their 20th, and I came home, and I drank J&B scotch out of the bottle while watching the slide over and over and over again. Oh! <laughs> oh! And that's the 20th losing season in a yeah. row. I that was how I celebrated... Wow, watching that slide. Wow, just watch that slide over and over again. Hit the JMB, let it roll. Yeah, wow. <laughs> but yeah, I watched that on yeah the black and white TV in my kitchen. Mm, yeah, now I remember from a kid. I couldn't. I was incredulous, and I don't know that thirty-five years later I'm any less incredulous. Yeah, it's wild how yeah a team can shatter like that. I mean, it's the heartbreaking thing about baseball. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, you could be an out away, and at least I'm not Donnie anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that. So <laughs> yeah, uh, not anymore. It, it always gets pitch. dark. It always gets dark. That was really the. <laughs> Look up, folks, the fatal pitch of Donnie Moore, if you mm -hmm. want to know what we're talking about. The old Buckner ball. And the Buckner ball. Mm -hmm. Though that wasn't fully his fault. No, it wasn't, but Donnie Moore apparently really took it hard. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it led to his demise, unfortunately. Yeah. And his family, when the Angels did win the World Series, the Angels wanted to invite. They were having a day, and his family was like, fuck you people. You, oh, you know. well, I understand. And I understand that completely. Yeah. But Buckner has days. But speaking of which, can we go to the Rust Belt Undead on sixty-seven? Sure. Another my other request, and actually thought of a new request that I'll okay. surprise you with. But of course, you're also welcome to read whatever the hell you want from your own book. You know, we got to talk about the soundtrack, so I'm going to read oh, the yes. poem from that for that in a moment too. Yes, let's do that. Uh, so look, among the Rust Belt Undead, the memory of your passing wafts across social media this morning. I play one of your songs, eleven, distorted, roaring minutes. Every day is another stupid miracle. The silent shouts of my phone in the fog that January night, sleeplessness led to weariness, disconsolate drives along thick gray pastures before the coming of mountains, cold blast of open windows kept me steady. Behind the wheel this morn, I trace these river roads, tarry among rust-belt undead, under a sky martyred between cooling towers, methane crackers, those sharp plumes toxic white, the orange runoffs into the Ohio. Desolate arteries of forgotten, frozen towns, a man stops me on the street in high Ohio Valley nasal wine. Tis town's dead, ain't it? And I look around a second. Clouds reflected in windows. This has to be a simulation. I nod, mumble, 
Sure is. Truth is far more grim. Rust flecks animated blood in a snow globe, the endlessness of neglect. Pretty boy Floyd is stuck, a fly with wings coated in newsprint. I turn inland and follow headlines to the tune of October 22nd, 1934. Your wife texts, with offers of beer and burgers, company to salve this loneliness. I'm hours away from anywhere, still at a strip mall red light. A sign stares back with little grace. You can't break a city forged in steel. Yeah. Um, I've always been fascinated by the fact that Pretty Boy Floyd was gunned down in East Liverpool, Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> so I think about him often whenever I drive that area. I mean, with the, the rich history of outlaws in America, it tends to be something that catches my attention in, in most places. Because it's one of the histories that still bleeds through somehow. Yeah. You know, the... I guess the Robin Hood and the American Dream have a lot more in common than I had ever thought, you know, until you sit down and start thinking about it. Yeah. So I was going to read you, and then I'll take your request. Okay. Uh, the Deep Ellen Blues, because, I mean, it's a, it's a fucking nuts poem, first off. I love it. Uh... But there is a soundtrack, which whenever we post the, the website, you know, there'll be a link. But there is so much music in this book, uh, perhaps more than any other book I've written thus far, that as I was going through, I, I, I'm not usually a guy to give clues to anything. I, everything's pretty easy to look up here, you know? Yeah. You know, it doesn't take that much effort, but... Um, there's so much music and so much of it might be slightly obscure. So the Deep Ellen Blues is a great example of that. It's a Shelton Brothers song that's on the Anthology of American Folk Music mm. uh, that was later covered by the Grateful Dead. But then the poem... Oh, by the way, it's uh, 41. Uh, you were <laughs> I, I just got there. I, I realized you <laughs> might have been searching. I have my glasses off right now because I can't read with them on. Um... But it mentions a Flatlander song at the start, a Butthole Surfer song, and I think one more. I can't even remember at this point in time. But then, on top of that, it's a conversation at the end between myself and the Dallas poet, Paul Konecki, who any time we're together, it somehow denigrates into the fact that he's going to be Larry Levis and I'm going to be Phil Levine. Mm. So we, we start to communicate in, in, in these terms. So, all those side pieces of information. This is the Deep Ellum Blues for Paul Konecki. I've never seen Dallas from a DC-10 at night, but the saw that floats through that Flatlander song is every phantom embodied across the miles, Lubbock to Wichita Falls. I've never taken the 287 ramp, followed highways into the Zabruder film, and now history is a butthole surfer's video. Alan Dulles was wholly responsible for the Kennedy assassination, for America's second bloody coup. He was killed because the Cuban Missile Crisis had turned Kennedy from hawk to chicken hawk. It tore out his spine and left him with a world longing for peace. Revenge and capitalism cannot survive peace. 
Hence Lee Harvey Oswald, hence Jack Ruby, hence what really happened on the grassy knoll can carry its weight in mystery. Paul, I headed for Texarkana because sometimes the road offers no salvation. Sometimes the wheels are another form of madness. We should be smoking joints in the backyard of Oswald's rooming house. And you look at me as Larry Levis and say, so death blows his little fucking trumpet big deal. And I'd answer as Phil Levine, I can hear the even breathing of all that is wordless and final. And the butthole surfers play the Shaw sleeps in Lee Harvey's grave, and maybe her preaching days are through, because when the night dusts off those Tejas stars, fuck if I don't fall hard into the deep Ellum blues. Mm. What was your request there? My request, request, my special request, just on page 45, a few pages later, Mr. Clarinet. Oh, that's a poem I've actually never read out. Ah, world premiere here on the podcast. Yeah, I I always liked this poem, but it just kind of got, this this was a pandemic poem because I was in Detroit like two weeks before the pandemic started. So that's how this all kind of comes out. Uh, so this is, uh, are you familiar with the Ben Sean, uh, uh, painting for Mr. Clarinet? Yes. Okay. It's in the DIA, uh, and it's a wild painting, sort of explained in, in the poem. Uh, but if you're listening at home right now, look up Ben Sean's Mr. Clarinet and you'll understand. There'll be a link. There'll be a link there. On the go. website too. Uh, so Mr. Clarinet for Ben Sean. Here's to anxiety, Mr. Clarinet. I never thought this would be the first or the last day in the garden. Eden is midwinter Detroit. We're playing shuffleboard, cold plank glasses, grains of sand. Adam and Eve at it on the couch. Eve straddling Adam the dry hump Olympics lasts more than one beer. Mr. Clarinet. If you could draw down your knotted hands, bring up the horn with its reeds on fire, blow something to make us think about how we'll feel when time dies, remind us that with all the careful construction of mythologies, that God is dead. Mr. Clarinet, or God has failed, whichever. Mr. Clarinet, bring up the horn with its scary clowns. Play an elegy that sounds like Jimmy Jaffray chasing Raymond Scott while Adam and Eve swallow static sparks. Penance is always eviction. Mr. Clarinet, the anxiety is real every day, in or out of the garden. Eve has dismounted. She's smoothing fabric. Adam is bow-legged. You're right to keep your hands covering up this horror. Adam and Eve walk into an exiled night. When we finish our beers... We'll do the same. Not one fucking snake in sight. <laughs> I mean, what else would you expect? Yes! Yes, the biblical term. Uh, I mean, there's nothing worse than seeing just like gratuitous public displays of affection when you're just not looking forward to it, you know? Yeah. And I don't know how often I'm looking forward to gratuitous public displays of affection at this age. So, yeah. <laughs> it's like, could you calm it down? Go to your car. Anything. Yeah, a hotel room. Yes, please. It's Detroit. You'll be fine. Go find someplace nice. 
Oh man. <sighs> yeah. So, um, is there something else I wanted to read you in here? Oh. Is there? I think there is. There I should be. There probably should be. After Mr. Clarinet, actually, let's read one of the poems that I don't read all the time. That's also from Richmond, Indiana. One of the three. Mm. This is the High and Hundred Proof Choir. Each of the poems gives you a hint that it happens in the same place because they talk, they talk to each other. All three of these poems across the book. The High and Hundred Proof Choir. Legs hang from a sky choked out in deep black. It's threatened since Dayton. Hang on hydroplane. The torrents comb the other side of the state line. This bar is overrun with roughnecks. Road crew yellow shirts stained evening happy hour spirals into night. Slurs, bravado, exchange punches across the bar. These working man things. Blonde secretary runs the jukebox. Senior prom hits from a decade ago, back when day jobs were nightmares only parents talked about. And outside, it's howling. The road crew knows that each drink that takes today's pain starts tomorrow's deficit. They fall off stools into autopilot drunk drives. Into bed as they muster, they whisper a prayer to weather. And I'll pray tonight with the high and hundred-proof choir. Let the rains come. Let the jobs and the roads wash away. Let us sleep deep into the infinity of an unexpected three-day weekend. These savored gifts braced against a hangover's pain. Yeah, I, I just stay in the same hotel. It's a Red Roof Inn. It's right off 70. And there is a, a, a Mexican restaurant called the El Bronco uh, that's right in the parking lot. So I don't have to do anything. I just have to get five hours, park the car, eat an edible, walk in, drink a huge fucking margarita and get you know, some choripoyo. And then when the tequila kicks in, I just have to make it back to the hotel room, which is 10 feet away. It's perfect. It's exactly what you want when you're, you know, trying to run yourself out, I guess. <laughs> and then the, the, the speedway's right across the street, so you get the gas and you keep going on to Missouri then. Yeah, no, that... <laughs> think if there's a an older poem I know I mentioned that a few of these are uh, from um, our memories of older trips um, so let me just pull one of those actually let's read this because it'll be more fun 33 all right I, mean, I always have fun with this poem because you know Bigfoot. We pray the angels met you on the other shore. Don't know about your apocalypse, but I'm running out end times, shuddering down a dirt mountain road in a new used car I paid cash on the barrel head for. Dust cloud in the rear view rises with morning mist. Keep alternating whiplash, juice gas, then break. That drop off into the creek gives me a side eye. And I'm sniffing out a trailhead, trying to find a mountain to dose space dust with. I hear it before I smell it. 
goddamn those old mother mountains are whistling, oh Danny boy. And evidently every damn word is etched in my DNA. I sing along and try to not to get myself all weepy-eyed melancholy. And then it dawns on me. That ain't the fucking mountains. It's an actual set of bagpipes. Sweet and sour tone all over a rushing morning stream. Sun clears that side of the mountain, blind a moment, slow to realize I am locking eyes with a goddamn bagpipe playing Bigfoot. Watch the Patterson-Gimlin film. I am in no way starstruck. This is another awkward moment in a lifetime of them. There is nothing more to see, nothing more than notes floating in dust. We pray the angels met you on the other shore. I have so much fun trying to write Bigfoot poems. Yeah! There needs to be more Bigfoot poems in the world. There needs to be more Bigfoot poems. Maybe there's a Bigfoot anthology out there. I should look into that. Yeah. If not, maybe I'll, I'll... Put myself out there to, to make one happen. Yes. <laughs> and you know, last year they saw big, somebody claimed to see Bigfoot in Evansburg. This doesn't surprise me. I mean, the PA uh, Ohio border has more Bigfoot sightings than almost anywhere else in America, apparently. Yeah. So the space time continuum is somehow completely broken on that line. Which makes sense. I, I mean, there's a lot of open space, and there's a spillway full of fish somewhere, so. You know, it's got to be convenient for picking up uh, a bite along the way. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything else you want to hear? Well, if we're talking Bigfoot poems, page 53 has Mile High Sasquatch. Oh, the other Bigfoot poem. Yes, mine as well. And there's a poem from when I was in the Smokies in like 2013 that just sort of happened while thinking about not being able to go to the Smokies. Mm. Mile High Sasquatch. My uncle drove trucks all his life, assuming his life started after he left Vietnam. We haven't talked in years, but he and his truck driver's son tell stories riddled with roots. Read between the lines. Even numbers in north, and it all went to shit. Odd numbers in south, and there is no permanence to anything. You want to wrestle east or west, you better have a full beer and something hard for a chaser. I wonder if, like me, he fell in love one night in a Moorhead, Kentucky motel only to be estranged by Chillicothe. Maybe for him it was way to Denang. I never asked, as he only speaks about the war and racism and bravado the way he was trained. I wonder if, like me, he sat on a mountain above a ghost town, alternating tired feet in an ice-cold stream, laughing madman or mile-high Sasquatch, breathing in every cloud in a chilled spring sky. Maybe it's as Ho Chi Minh said, man and animals rise up reborn. What could be more natural? Robert Mitchum said the snakes are my friend. He said it with weariness. Weariness a person who carries more than their weight in miles. Have a drink of beer here. I remember I I was on the Elkmont Trail in uh, 
the Smokies, and I had been hiking. I was probably around 10 or 11 miles at that point in time of the day. And my legs were done. And when I got to the top of the mountain, there was this beautiful stream. But it was late April. So I just put both feet in and immediately yanked both feet out because the water was frigid. Yeah. So I ended up with one foot in the stream and I giggle and then I take it out and put the other foot in and I'm just like sitting there like rolling on a rock one foot in one foot in and a couple came up from behind me just like utterly terrified by the glee of this large man uh, you know who's like sweating and beleaguered on top of a mountain just going <laughs> I had to look like a fucking troll to them or something <laughs> I'm sure I ruined their hike but I was having fun <laughs> It's like when I was in Montana uh, hiking a glacier where if you hike by yourself, you're supposed to have bear mace or bear bells or whatnot. And if you don't have those things, then you're supposed to clap and start singing or yelling loudly once every few minutes. If you don't see a human for five to ten minutes, you need to make sure you're not prey, mm. basically, you know. Uh, so, you know, be on the trail. And at that point in time, the going to the sun road wasn't open. I was there in May. Uh, so I was as far into the park as you could get um, on foot. You know, so there were a lot of people on that trail. So I wouldn't see anybody, and I'd start clapping and singing, and then someone would inevitably come over the hill and it'd be like, what the fuck are you doing, buddy? <laughs> just fine here. Just enjoying myself. <laughs> enjoying these woods. <laughs> that time I found a big pile of bear's gap, though, and figured it was a good idea to come back yeah yeah that, that was the point where it's like yeah maybe maybe it's time maybe it's time which is i was near the spot on the ghost town trail where someone had thought they'd seen bigfoot in last april i think it was and nice and uh not far from that spot was bear shit and i was like i can put one and one together here yeah and, you, you, uh, you saw a bear standing it's yes fun. yes black bears get tall yes so it's okay uh, how are we doing on time there, buddy? We maybe have time for one more. For right. the bottom, I guess it's going to be the bottom two, because I can bottom only think two. of two questions. All right. What, uh, where do we want to go here? Where do we want to go? I was thinking, I was wondering about Hang On Skyline, maybe, yeah, on sure. page 111. Another Smokies poem. Well, yeah. that was actually Shenandoah. Mm. Which you mentioned earlier, so we're closing a loop. Yes, there we go. Uh, hang on, Skyline. These mountains, these clear daughters of stars, reach to the sky to catch a falling supermoon. And here I am, stone witness mugging with Yogi Bear. Ranger Smith can keep his picnic basket. We're rolling like Mesero. Yeah, babe, these are really the blues. Half-baked eyes drop off consciousness in a sleeping bag my heart beats into the earth weak to cold morning bones bitter shouts of shattered glass i drag myself to showers only to find hope lukewarm there are no smooth edges here without hot water as i suffer a yellow jacket shattered glass exoskeleton drags across tile floor towards my truck stop foot and I stand in cold, running water as this bee keels over its shutters in that familiar way we all do when the secrets of consciousness leave us. Suddenly, 
this yellow jacket, is only an empty exoskeleton, and I am running water alone. I blast heat to renit bones as I chase mist up this river of spruce, this hang-on skyline. With a waterfall, I stop and undress in orange, let myself feel like a truck stop in the first light of the morning. Someday, someone may find my body at the bottom of White Oak Canyon, an empty exoskeleton with crows for eyes, all the secrets of consciousness rise in the mist of the morning, then dissipate in a forever blue sky. Yeah, that's a poem that took a couple tries. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I, I recently had COVID, so I haven't done this in a few years. But I was going through uh, the mass folder of dead drafts and other things. And I, I found an a, a, a earlier draft of Skyline that I forgot that I had written. And it's, it's really good, too, but it's a very different poem. Yeah. So it's like, eh, maybe someday that one actually should come out. You know? uh, so maybe I'll, I'll sneak it into something along the way. The Hang on Skyline demo. Ooh, that would be... Yeah. That would be an interesting. That would be an interesting poetic project. Yeah, Definitely. I don't. I'm not a. I'm. I'm not a multiple draft poet because I usually work things pretty well before they hit a page, you know, um, or the start is worked out enough and the rest just kind of comes and and you just kind of locate the ending or you you write the ending. It's one or the other. Uh, sometimes you overwrite the ending, but you can find it usually somewhere in yeah. there. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's also for me thinking about... I'm also... So I'm also subjecting my poetry students to Richard Hugo's The Triggering Town. Okay. And this, you know, this idea of, you know, tomorrow... For tomorrow's class, if they read... It's actually did the damn reading. For class, there's the line, you know, me... You know, there's really no way to teach writing, but maybe a good teacher can save someone ten years. Yeah. You know, which is, I, I, I was like, yeah, that's the truth. But also this question of, like, how for certain ideas, for certain triggering subjects to come out correctly, there is a certain skill level. Yes. That uh, you have to get to in order to yeah, to I, make it all work. There is, I, I mean, like, Hang On Skyline and, and uh, the one that I read, before that Mile High Sasquatch, you know, I didn't write much about that trip that I took in 2013, um, and I don't know if I knew how to. Yeah. You know, yeah. you have to kind of get, you know, step up on the ladder and keep going before you can really tackle some of those subjects. Death is hard to write about, you yeah. know, and especially when you are starting to theorize about your own or thinking about your own absence that's even harder. I mean, thinking yeah. about someone else's absence is more concrete. Yes. Uh, but still can sometimes be too big. Yes, it's still huge. But yeah. your own, you know, like, yeah, we're, you know, we don't do that around these parts. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, we'll get to, I guess, the bottom two. Okay. I'm not even sure I have two good questions. So, mm. It's usually the bottom five, folks, for those who listen, but... I've done too many of them. And I yeah, I've, I'm out of questions. questions. I'm out of good questions. I was even looking at the old list. And if there was a way... 
<laughs> if any of these stuck, if any of these didn't have already, and I'm not going back through old episodes, I'm like, which one did I ask before? Uh, I couldn't remember what poems I read. You know, I know we talked about the topography of disappearing at one yeah. point in time, and we talked about uh, uh, don't spook the armadillo along the way. So, and both of those are in this book. Yes. So, so there'll definitely be links to the soundtrack. Yes. To this, um, there will be a link to the Mister Clarinet painting. There's also your your reading on Saturday, February tenth, in the year of our Lord, twenty twenty four. Yeah, yeah, it's twenty twenty four, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. is. Uh, You'll be reading, and there'll be a link to that if you want to explain. Uh, It's uh, Becky Schmeda who does Trailer Park Quarterly with me. We co-edit together. Uh, she also wrote a uh, wonderful, harrowing cycle of poems uh, about abusive women uh, that are coming with a, a series of photos that I took of prison. Of, uh, they've been in prison in Loretto. Oh. Um, that's the next thing that's coming out, So, uh, which will be in another couple months probably. Cool. Um, so we're reading together Curtis Hayes and Wendy Rainey, who are both... Uh, fantastic Los Angeles poets uh, Chuck Joy who's an eerie poet there's a couple other eerie poets on the bill and some folks from uh, Eastern Europe I believe too oh wow um, yeah so it's Walt Whitman Association this is the birthplace zoom reading series mm. yes there's also an in-person one as well George Wallace runs it uh, and George is you know one of those American master poets at this point in time so sweet I'll have the link to that, too. Uh, so, it's now time for the bottom two? Bottom two. Bottom two. Uh, first question is... What are the ways in which you are unfree? Unfree? Yes. Mm, there's a lot. Financially is the most apparent. Yeah. Uh, wow. Wow. That's a lot. I don't know how to broach that subject. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big end, you know, and, and you know. it is, you know, it's, I guess I call it the Shlavov Zizek. Yeah. Another Zizek but, reference in your time in my house, not on the podcast. You know, he talks about it. When you assume that you are free, you uh, you lose the language to articulate your unfreedom. Yes. I think so. that's, a, that's a, it's very fair. I mean, again, most apparently is financially because if you're financial needs aren't taken care of in a capitalist economy you can't just go wander and enjoy yourself and have fun Uh, I still have to work a job so I'm unfree in that capacity if we consider that part of the same answer yes um, absolutely very much uh, yeah Um, I'm sure there are hinges in my brain that I don't know my way around You, you kind of locate those and as you see them, uh, maybe you do this. I know I isolate tracks of old thinking or damaged thinking that I picked up along the way. Yeah. Uh, you know, you catch yourself saying something, and you're like, wait, is that how I really feel about that? Hang yeah. on one second. Or is that still how I feel about that? I Maybe 20-year-old me would have said that, but not 48-year-old me. Yes. You know, um, so there's always... A current of alignment uh, with 
the various iterations of yourself and the thinking that each one of those persons did. Not to say that they're not the same person, because they aren't. Yes. They are at the same time. Yes. Um, yeah. I'll give you those three, at least for now. I don't know how much further I can go with that. Yeah. I would have to think a lot more about it. It's a good question. Yeah. Um, I know that you were bringing Zizak, or Zizak into it, but uh, Fromm's Escape from Freedom yeah. uh, was such an important book for that because mm-hmm. uh, it made me understand... It's on one of these yeah, shelves right on my shelves shelf right yeah. there. Uh, and it, 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 everybody should read Fromm's Escape from Freedom at some point in time in their life yes. for that exact reason. You will think of things, it will change what you think immediately. Yes. Um, and better than a drug or anything else, like it, it gets in there and explains why you do this, yes. why you exist this way. And that's sort of the, the jump off space. Back when psychology was still challenging and not cute. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so question two is, uh, for me, I, I think about, is there's a scenario that leads to a question. I think for me, uh, we don't talk about this, that in, in 2016, there were people who came to this country as refugees mm-hmm. who made the midnight run to Canada. Including people who went through like the wilderness in Quebec mm-hmm. to to get to because they needed to, but we haven't reached the threshold where again where you're sort of like white born in America, native born citizen has presented themselves at the Canadian border asking for political asylum. Well, but I feel like that we could get there. We could. We're about nine months away from the start of that, I have a feeling. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, that doesn't matter who wins, personally. Actually. Yeah, no, I think that's the real, real hopeless, depressing, terrible thing about it. Yeah. Um, well, if the one guy wins, it'll be like ten months. Yeah. yeah. Nine months uh, well, for the other guy. It's the, isn't it the Steve Earle line, you know, the Democrats practice, you know, another four years of things not getting worse. You know, you're maintaining yes. status quo, whereas, you know... And I don't even know if we're maintaining status quo anymore. We are sliding, no matter which way yes. we go. We are backsliding as a country. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, if you find yourself doing that, and I know people are looking into things like right of return, EU passports, uh, you leave America as a refugee, what would you miss the most? America itself. <laughs> I mean, which you can miss that I think while you're still here because I yeah I oh no that. I mean I, I I yeah I think that's a, a very agreeable concept I I have fallen in love with the landscape of this country over the course of my 25 27 years driving whether it be from here to Mississippi or uh, from here to California I mean. I know other places are gorgeous, and I will find other yes. things to love in there. But there, you know, especially in the last ten years, as I've gotten to be more free and gotten to see more, there are places that are now so essential to my being that I have to return to them. Mm. You know, and I have to keep alternating out places. You know, because I need to 
be in Missouri. I need to see, you know, the mountains of North Carolina around Hendersonville or, or mm. uh, Acadia National Park in mid-coastal Maine. You know, places like that, they become so much a part of my traveling that they now become DNA. Uh, and to lose those places, yeah, sure, maybe I get Banff National Park instead, but it's it's yeah. it's not the same thing, you know. Canada's also fucking cold, and I don't want to go somewhere cold. I have a bad back. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know who else will take me. Maybe Scotland. <laughs> yeah. I hear the Scottish might like someone like me. Yeah. No, they might. They might. And hopefully they'll they'll get out of their situation and be back in the EU. And Hopefully they get that ironed out, too. Yeah. Yes. The UK really fucked everybody up on that island, did they not? Did they not, yeah. I, I guess I should rephrase that. Cambridge Analytica really fucked everybody on that island. Yes. But let, let's let's call it as it is. <laughs> well, I think that's about it. <laughs> on that note, I think that's... That, where we have to leave it? Okay. I yeah, it. I think that's a good place to stop. <laughs> no, you know what I'll say? The thing that blows my mind in about maybe this moment in history is, and they, and again, maybe we're not. I, I th- that Cambridge Analytica comment. Um, we're not alone in this dysfunction. That's the other thing. Like England, and I think I need to try to find this again and download it in case it falls out of the rabbit hole, internet rabbit hole. The, have you ever heard about the Bruce Dickinson Iron Maiden interview? Mm, no. He was on some Good Morning Britain show. Okay. And I have to tell this story, and then we'll end the podcast. We'll end on this note. Um, he was just on some Good Morning Britain show the last time Iron Maiden put out a record. Okay. And Bruce Dickinson was openly, enthusiastically pro-Brexit. Because he was a rich white man. Yes. But, you know, irony... He uh, was on the show just kind of generally talking about things and new Iron Maiden record and whatever. And he's this rambling thing about how he found a bee's nest. And he's like, oh, that's really cool. There's bees at my house and whatever. And then he gets to complaining about post-Brexit England. <laughs> and how while Iron Maiden has a new album out, they cannot go that summer and play the big European metal festival for tens of thousands of dollars and more every show mm-hmm. uh, because he needs a work visa and they didn't get the paperwork through in thought time. And he keeps saying about how like our leaders have failed us. There should be an agreement with the EU that allows me to go over there and, and earn yeah. a, little, a ridiculous amount of money for an hour and a half of work. Right. And the host pointed out, it's like, well, you know, we were in an agreement yeah, we had it. You, you And we opted out of it. And he's like, yes, but there should be another agreement. And they're like, do you mean you want to rejoin the European Union? And you could do that. He's like, no, I don't want that. And then like, but there should be an agreement. And then there's a moment you can see in his eyes a glint where the train finally jumps the track. <laughs> and he realized, wait, so Brexit? That was what that meant? And we opted out of that, and now I'm screwed. Though not screwed. I mean, he's no, no. He's, I mean, he's fine. still rich. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's still just rich. Not he's make not going to lose much money now. He's not going to lose his house. But there's a moment where he's like, "What?" 
And no, we have a new agreement. They should have fixed this by now. And I was like, wow, that's... Well, you can't be wrong. No one could be wrong. Cutting off your nose, despite your face. Yes. And I think that's about it. We'll end up <laughs> something a little more ridiculous. Um, our next episode will eventually happen. And there might be two more this month. And it will be about something. Our homepage where you can find new and old episodes is gonnadiepodcast.com. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Google Podcasts is going away, but I'm assuming that Google Play Music, I will get a RSS feed code at some point this spring, and we will be on YouTube Music Podcasts because Google Podcasts is going away. And all of those things, Audible, Stitcher, TuneIn, I think Stitcher went away too. And maybe Audible's gone away? Uh, we're on all of those things that piggyback on Apple Podcasts or that I submitted a uh, RSS feed for. I don't even remember anymore where we're all at, but you can Somewhere. Google. Follow us on... Actually, the, the follow us on uh, the X Twitter thing is a dead thing. I'm just cyber squatting in my own account. We're all going to die on Facebook. Who the hell's still on Facebook? Special thanks to Andrew Fox for a lovely theme music. Uh, thank you again, Jason. As always, thanks, it Matt. is such a pleasure. Indeed. Later, meets. <laughs>